When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. You know, I just I, I, I just think that America needs more of you, so I decided to talk her into these 10-minute episodes. So you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, I don't mind. There are so many great mysteries out there, and some of them you just can't talk about for a full half hour, so these 10-minute segments will are, fit it perfectly. All right. Anyway, Steve, one of planet Earth's biggest mysteries is the question of whether we are alone in the universe. Could there be an extraterrestrial intelligence out there, and even capable of communicating with us somehow across the cosmos? Well, the closest that we have ever come to scientifically answering that question happened in Ohio in 1977. They found a reptilian? (laughs) Well, now there's some science in this story, but don't get scared. I'm going to break it down for you. First, a little background. Back in 1963, Ohio State University leased some property from Ohio Wesleyan University in Delaware. That's about 20 miles north of Columbus. And they built a radio observatory. This thing was called Big Ear, and its job was to survey space and record everything out there emitting radio waves. So basically, radio waves are a type of radiation that is emitted by things, waves we can't see, but waves we can measure and convert into sound. Big Ear was programmed to record any radio waves coming from space, just normal electromagnetic radiation emitted by celestial bodies in the normal course of their existence. Now, these waves are like hidden clues to our understanding of the universe. They have helped us see stars born and stars die. They help us determine how fast our galaxy is spinning and expanding. We can even see the echoes of the Big Bang and the very formation of the universe. And Big Ear did a very good job. It recorded almost 20,000 radio sources, about 60% of which were previously undiscovered. But in 1972, Congress defunded the program that paid for Big Ear's work, and OSU found itself with a perfectly good radio telescope and no funds to operate it. 
Fortunately, it soon found another purpose. You see, by the early 1970s, SETI was in full swing. Now, SETI is an acronym that means the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It was started by scientists and astronomers and soon joined and supported by NASA. Movie fans might remember the Jodie Foster film Contact. That was based on a book by astronomer Carl Sagan, who worked with SETI. And in Contact, Jodie Foster hears a noise transmitted by radio waves from distant space, which sets up the whole plot of the movie. Anyway, OSU decided to donate the use of Big Ear to SETI. The telescope would stay trained on deep space just in case it heard something we were unfamiliar with. NASA even contributed a grant to upgrade Big Ear for its new mission. So that's what Big Ear was doing in 1977 when our story takes place. Basically, it was looking for E.T. Now, as Big Ear picked up emissions from space, it would record it on a printout. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, this lined printer paper would spit out of an IBM printer and layer itself onto a big pile. Usually the paper was simply filled with ones and twos. So here's how the numbers worked. Emissions were ranked in intensity by using numbers from one to nine. Ones, twos, threes, that's normal stuff. Typical sounds of the universe. Background noise, if you will. A five, for instance, would indicate a very strong signal. Anything stronger than a nine and the computer switched to using letters A, B, C, all the way up to Z. Now, every few days, a SETI volunteer would collect these reams of printed data and look them over for anything out of the ordinary. In Columbus, Ohio, astronomer Jerry Amon was the SETI volunteer who normally reviewed the printouts, and that's what he was doing at his kitchen table on August 18, 1977. He flipped through pages and pages filled with ones and twos, and then he spotted something odd. Not just odd, remarkable. Not just remarkable, astonishing. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. (laughs) (laughs) It was even better than that. There among the ones and twos was this sequence. Six, E, Q, U, J, five. I don't know if you know this, but that's not one and twos. Those are not ones and twos. It meant some signal had started out with a six, a very strong signal, grew intensity to E, then Q, almost leaving the alphabet at U. At U, the noise recorded was 30 times stronger than normal background noise. Then the sound fell back to J and finally five. It faded at 72 seconds because that's the longest period that Big Ear could remain focused on a specific object because Earth's rotation would move it out of range. Sounds like God burped. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? (laughs) Well, the transmission was recorded at 10.16 p.m. on August 15, 1977. Eamon reached for a pen near him, circled the sequence, and wrote, wow, with an exclamation point next to it in red ink. And from that moment on, this mystery would come to be known as the wow signal. 
of all the radio observatories in all the world, there has never been a signal with that intensity recorded before or after. Now, one thing that had everyone excited was the recording hit all the hallmarks that scientists once theorized would indicate extraterrestrial origin. For instance, in 1959, these two Cornell University physicists, Philip Morrison and Giuseppe Cocconi, said any extraterrestrial civilization attempting to communicate via radio signals would likely use a frequency of 1,420 megahertz. That's because that frequency is naturally admitted by hydrogen, and hydrogen is the most common element in the universe, so all advanced civilizations should be familiar with it. What did the wow signal register on the megahertz scale? 1,420. And the way the signal rose and faded in that 72-second window, indicating a loud, intense, and solid wave, it matched exactly what scientists predicted would happen if an alien culture ever aimed a transmission at us. Now, there doesn't seem to be any sort of message buried in the signal, no encoded information, nothing that we could devise anyway, like, hi, we're out here, how are you? Those who have analyzed the data exhaustively believe it was essentially a flash of radio energy. And since 1977, scientists have tried repeatedly to find the signal again without success. Did you ever read that maybe they tried recreating the signal themselves? They did. Like if it was the Russians? They did. They tried it because obviously many theories was was this man-made. Okay. Well, one of the reasons that they dismissed a lot of that argument is because the signal 1420 megahertz is protected and reserved for astronomical purposes. Transmitters on Earth are forbidden from using the 1420 megahertz range. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So Eamon himself was perplexed and said skepticism was valid. At first, he said... We should have seen it again when we looked for it 50 times. Something suggests it was an Earth source signal that simply got reflected off a piece of space debris. But after further research showed an Earth-born signal to be very unlikely, Eamon recanted and said, while there is no evidence the signal is from TET, that is the one theory nobody has been able to rule out. So far, all other theories they have ruled out. Now, in recent years, there have been other studies. One scientist proposed that hydrogen clouds surrounding two comets might have been the source. But SETI people have pointed out that Big Air wasn't aimed at those comets when it was recorded. So it wasn't aimed at Hale-Bopp? I I don't think we knew Hale-Bopp at that point. (laughs) Anyway, in 2012, on the 35th anniversary of the WOW signal, an observatory in Puerto Rico attempted a reply to the WOW signal. National Geographic Channel, to propose a a new TV series, asked people to send Twitter messages with the hashtag chasing UFOs. Then the observatory packaged 10,000 Twitter messages and shot them off in the direction of the WOW signal's origin. There is one other theory behind the wow signal as fate would have it elvis presley died within four hours of the transmission this has led to the tongue-in-cheek suggestion that the real purpose of the wow signal was to alert us to the fact that elvis had left the building that's true i think the reptilians you know they knew he was going to die 
What are the reptilians? The reptilians are they're they're the other people that are you know they look like us humans, but underneath they're you know they're is this students. an Art Bell thing? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. You need to get with the times. The reptilians yeah. are real. Yeah. The, okay. These people <laughs> these people are not claiming they're here. Okay. They're just All trying right. to pick up sound in space. <laughs> As for Big Ear, it became the longest running SETI program in history. It operated from 1973 to 1995. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it was it was disassembled in 1998 to make room for a golf course. Ah, I wonder what that golf course name is. Yeah, That'd be I, cool. Uh, yeah. As for the wow signal, it remains humanity's strongest argument that we earthlings are not alone. This is it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll see you here Sunday for our next regular Ohio mystery episode. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loop serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.